Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Addicted to Crime. I'm back with part two of our Fear of Clowns series. Today we're going to be diving into the life of John Wayne Gacy. We're going to be going over his many victims and their backgrounds. And I'm also eventually going to be talking a little bit about clown school and the effect that the bad evil clown mantra has damaged the genuine professional clowns personas. So just a little bit about that. But mainly this episode is going to be John Wayne Gacy. I'm going to be diving into all of that with guest Olivia Green. You know her. She's been on here once before with us, and she's back to dive into this episode. Hi. <laughs> all right, let's <laughs> dive in. Being completely honest, I hate checking my mail most days. It seems like there's always just a huge pile of bills and credit card offers, hello, early 20s, and just other various junk mail that goes straight into my garbage as soon as I'm in my house. But the one thing that always stops me in my tracks is when there's a cute little envelope addressed by hand. I know that somebody somewhere has sent me a card and so now I just need to open it immediately and see what it's all about. My name is Olivia Green and I recently founded a company called The Stillwater Company. Basically what it is is just a line of greeting cards and other products that you can send to people through good old fashioned snail mail and brighten their day a little bit. All of the designs are based around capturing the simplicity of rural living. Whether that be baby goats on my parents' farm, horses grazing in a pasture alongside the road, or just super colorful flowers in the summer. All the designs and products can be found on my website at www.welcometostillwater.com. And from there you'll be able to sort through greeting cards, note cards, and all the products. There's also actually digital files available for purchase. You can literally download them right to your computer, and from there you can use them for your own prints or products that are unique to you and your needs. So again, the website is www.welcometostillwater.com. Please feel free to contact myself directly through the website. I am always able to help you find the perfect collection that you love. Okay, like I said, we're going to be diving into the case of John Wayne Gacy and also Cloud School. Let's start with Gacy first. Now, Olivia, last time we were together for our episode, you chose the topic. We all kind of prepared separately, got informed and stuff. Now, this time, I decided to keep it a secret from you, and I wanted your genuine reactions. Like, right before we started recording, I told you who we're talking about, but right. I had lasted up until today. Yeah, I had lasted. <laughs> it was hard for me. It was hard because I wanted to tell you stuff. So do you know much about John Wayne Gacy? Like, what do you know about him? I, okay, so honestly, in any true tri, true crime podcast <laughs> that I listen to, I always skip over him because it just sounds like it's really intense. <laughs> so, <Uh-oh. laughs> so I know nothing about him, but but this is good. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be good. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. I'm just warning you. Okay. It's a lot. I'm ready. And I'm warning everybody too. There is mention of sexual assault and there is mention of torture and it's horrible. It's oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So it's horrible. And if, if you feel like this isn't the episode for you, go ahead and skip it and I'll see you next week. But you got to stay here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will stick it out. And I'm sorry. I know it was hard not to know ahead of time. But like I said, I wanted your genuine reaction. It was crazy for me doing research because everything I found out, I'd be like, oh, this is interesting. I've got to tell Olivia this. i got to tell Olivia this. <laughs> but I had to wait and sucked. But I made it. Resisted. We're here now. Let's give it a shot. And this is amazing, too. And I swear I did not know this until I was in the heat of researching for this article. But Peacock 
is releasing a six-episode docu-series today. We're recording on Thursday, March 25th. I'm probably going to release it on Monday the following week. So by, by then, it'll be out a couple days. But there is a six-part docu-series on Peacock right now, people. So if you're listening to this and you want more information about John Mangese, go ahead and give it a listen. I mean, The Office moved to Peacock <laughs> after it got off Netflix, so it's worth it. So go check it out right now. It's called John Wayne Gacy, The Devil in Disguise, and it is on Peacock now. So go check it out. Okay, John Wayne Gacy was born to parents, Father John Stanley Gacy and Mother Marion Elaine Robinson on March 17, 1942 in Chicago, Illinois. He was the second child and he had two siblings, both sisters. Gacy and his family grew up Catholic and they were of Polish and Danish descendants. Interesting. Growing up, Gacy was very close with his mother and his sisters. He had a fantastic relationship with them. One sister's name is Karen and the other is Joanne. And like I said, he had a great relationship with them. And as far as I can tell, there was no turmoil with the three of them. And actually, he would, like if his mom were cooking or whatever in the kitchen, he'd always be helping her. He loved cooking. He loved being in the kitchen. You said he was the middle child? Yep. He was the second child. Yes, the middle child. He was very active in the Boy Scouts. He enjoyed his time there. And he was a hard worker as a child. He often had many after-school jobs. However, he had a very, very, very harmful relationship with his father. Mm. And this is horrible because some articles I was reading, they always started off talking about his early life as he had a great childhood, except he was beaten a lot. Oh, okay. So and not a great childhood. No, not at all. And every sing- almost every single article I read was like, he had a pretty uneventful childhood, except for his dad. No, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but his relationship with his dad, and as we're going to go on, he had a horrible childhood. Aww. I don't know what it was talking about, but I don't think his childhood was good at all. I hate, like, it helps you to see how it was, you know, yeah. at the beginning and, like, kind of how they get from point A to point X, Y, Z, wherever yeah. it is that oh, they yeah. end up, because they take it so far. Mm-hmm. It obviously does not excuse it, but it does... It, I mean, when, when they lay out exactly, like, how they were raised, it just makes things so much clearer. Oh, I know. You feel 100% bad for the child, John Wayne right. Gacy. But once we get into his crimes, we're like, wow. <laughs> I hate you. But but the first couple minutes, is going to be really hard because you see he had no chance. Yeah. Like, yeah. he did not have a good upbringing at all. He didn't have any of the love from his father. But he did have a good relationship with his mom and sister. But you really do need that stability Absolutely. But that being said, you know, a lot of people have come from bad homes and don't turn out to be a serial killer. Exactly. Exactly. So, and some, yeah, and that actually do amazing things. Yes, and they yeah. are prosperous and do amazing things. So I don't want to make that as an excuse for him because that's not an excuse. But you do really see how it just definitely morphed him into who he was later on. Yeah. So John Wayne Gacy's father, his father is John Stanley Gacy. And I'm going to refer to him as John Sr. and John Jr. just until the dad is gone, just so that we don't have any confusion. So John Sr. worked as an auto repair machinist, and he was also a World War I vet. But he was a raging alcoholic, and John Sr. was very cruel to his entire family. He'd often beat his wife, Marion, who was the homemaker, 
and he would belittle her in front of their kids, and he would even physically assault her oh on many occasions, and sometimes in front of the children. Marion would have to be brave in front of the kids, and I feel like maybe she felt like she had to take the torture from her husband to kind of keep him from the kids. Yeah. So maybe she felt like she was taking it for her kids. So sad. And also, like, what is she going to do? Because she didn't have a job. Her husband, John, was making all the money. And where was she going to go with three kids? Right. And, like, if this, I mean, what, like, roughly what year is this? This is, that's a good question. Just, like, it, at this time period, like, you don't just leave your husband and start your own career and exactly. build your own life. Right, because yeah. this is, okay, here, he was born in 1942. Okay, so yeah. So they were married however many years before that. I'm sorry, you don't have that. But, right, it's a time period. She's not going to leave. She's, it's, it was also at the time where women don't do that. So right, she's right. very much still attached to her husband here. And she also had to take a lot of the beatings for John Jr. Because John Sr. specifically targeted him. Her husband, so John Sr., would constantly berate his son by calling him a sissy or even a mama's boy. And at one time, he even told his son that he would probably grow up queer. He was just horrible, horrible to his son. And John Sr. also said that sometimes maybe John acted that way just to get sympathy. So even if he was sick or if he had a cold, oh, you're fine. You're just doing that to try to get sympathy. He was just horrible to him. And John would also beat and belittle his children um, on a regular basis, the daughters included, but John Jr. was definitely the one who got the brunt of it. He beat his children with an old barber chair razor strap. Oh, my goodness. And Karen, one of the daughters, said that she and her siblings would learn how to be strong and toughen up before they would be whipped so that pretty soon they would just Ugh. be so resilient to it. And they would try not to cry. And John Jr. also never once cried or showed any emotion during these beatings from his father. And this is going to break your heart, but at nine years old, John Jr. was allegedly ex- sexually molested by a friend of his father's at nine years old oh my goodness it was a family friend of his father and he would molest him in his truck and i'm not sure if his father knew this or not okay because i'm assuming he didn't um just because gacy said later in an interview that he never told his father because he was afraid of how he was going to react which can you imagine that no because Uh, you're nine you're yeah that is not your fault he's afraid his father's going to blame him at nine years old And so I don't think the father ever knew. And clearly, John Jr. is not getting the stability from his own father. Like I said, he's so afraid of what his father is even going to say that he won't even admit that he's being sexually abused. So this is going on in his home, this stressful, threatening, painful family environment. And John Jr., he's a more overweight child. And as we know, kids can be horrible. Mm -hmm. So he's mocked in school. He's made fun of, and it's awful. When he was 11 years old in fourth grade, he actually had a head injury. He was hit in the head by a swing, and it went undiscovered for many years. But what would happen is, he, from that from that time on, he would start to experience blackouts up until he was 16 years old. Interesting. Well, I know. And what had happened was the swing caused a blood clot in his brain. Do you, know, do you by chance, know where the swing hit him in the head? <laughs> I know. That's I will, a weird question. No, that's fine. I believe it hit him on the side of the head. Okay. From what I understand in my reading, it was in the side. So he's walking forward, and, like, a swing comes and hits him on the side of the okay. head. Okay. That's what I believe I heard. And so it's it's undiscovered from 11 to 16, and then at 16, he's hospitalized for this because he has a blood clot on the brain, and they finally figured it out. 
And he was hospitalized for this for a long time. And after that, he had many other little hospital stays. Okay. And for one of them, like, was for a burst appendix. But every time he was in the hospital, again, his father was like, oh, you're such a sissy. You're faking this for attention. Yeah, you're faking multiple blackouts over (laughs) a period of many years. And a burst of pain? (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh my word. And so he just said he was acting out, being a sissy, whatever. But this is interesting. During the time that he was in the hospital, they couldn't ever really diagnose John Jr. specifically. So he had a congenital heart issue. Okay. But they can never specifically say what that was. So I thought that was interesting. But his sister and mother never doubted that he was making it up, obviously. Right, right. Something was wrong, but they never fully diagnosed it. So this is due to the fact that he was overweight. He began to suffer from the heart problems. This is okay. when this heart defect goes into effect. At age 17, he was, was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect. And so his doctor told him he couldn't play sports or anything aggressive. He just had to take it easy as much as he could because he doesn't know what's causing these problems. Yeah. His heart would be under too much strain, too much physical activity wasn't good for him, so and so on. So this, is, of course, is another huge hurdle in his life because he's being mistreated and abused in his home. He's not doing well at school. <laughs> he can't do anything at school, too. Like, no hard play, no sports, nothing. And he can't, like, I mean, you're not going to make any friends if you're not allowed no. to do anything. And he's just feeling alienated. And also, home is supposed to be your safe place. And it's not. It's clearly. not. No, it is not. And so, he, he's being mocked for his weight. His heart condition is being looked at as a weakness or a flaw by his father. You know, he somehow had a part and it was his fault that mm-hmm. he had a heart issue. His father also is horrible at comparing um, John Jr. to his sisters. And he shows the sisters way more affection and more love than he does ever to his son. He plays games with his kids and acts more like a father. I mean, he still beats them and horribly mistreats them. But he acts less aggressive to them than he does to John. Okay. And so, of course, the son is seeing his father show more favoritism towards his sisters also. Yeah. It just seems like whatever John Jr. does, it's not enough for his father. And his father's constantly harming him physically and mentally. At this time, too, John Jr. began to realize that he had attractions to men as well. So all this is happening at home and school. Now he's struggling with this realization that he's attracted to other men. And so it's just another inner conflict and struggle that's going on within him. And I'm sure he was terrified to tell oh, his dad. I, I'm... I'm... <laughs> I bet it did not even occur to him that he would ever be able to tell no, his dad his that. No, his dad already ever. told him that if he was too sissy, like, he'd be growing up queer. So I'm right. sure that he would never tell him this. So he had no support at all from the get. Now, this is definitely, and I we kind of preluded to this earlier, but this is definitely something that's been researched heavily by a psychiatrist and other people that look at behavior patterns. But there's been people who've been sexually abused and who grew up in tumultuous, 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 nope. <laughs> Terrible? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Tumultuous. Yeah, that is really hard to say. I, I can't take this out either, so this struggle is <laughs> There's been people who's grown up in horrible yes. conditions that did not grow up to be serial killers. We oh, absolutely, absolutely. You can't, I'm not, I don't want anybody to be mad at me that I'm making excuses for John Jr.'s behavior further on because he is an atrocious human. He's a horrible human being. 
I'm, I'm not making so excuses. excited for this episode. <laughs> Be excited. I'm not making excuses for his bad behavior, but it is very telling when you see what he grew up with and the mm-hmm. kind of strain he was under to what he goes on to do in the future. So and that much stress that. affects your brain so much, and that much stress when your brain is developing, mm-hmm. I can't. I I can't even imagine. And plus the injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was wondering, like, yeah. where, where, where was he getting hit in the head? Because I know <laughs> the head injury, the heart condition, everything. It's not going to make you murder people, but it's not going to help. Right, it's, it's not going to help, help you, like, have controlled reasoning to any situation. Exactly. So when Gacy was eighteen in nineteen sixty, he worked as an assistant precinct captain for the Democratic Party candidate in his area. He was heavily involved in politics. Interesting. And his father, of course, called him Patsy <laughs> and ridiculed him, which he always does for being involved in politics. And he just tried to find other ways to control his son during this time. Okay. So Gacy Jr. or Gacy Jr. John Jr. is eighteen. So he should be kind of spreading his wings. Yeah, he was he's an adult. To. Exactly. He was trying to by getting involved in different political things. But what happened is John Sr. bought his son a car. Okay, cool. A lot of parents can buy their kids cars. And when I first read that, I was like, oh, maybe he's trying to actually be a good dad and, like, get him started, like, get this vehicle for him. I don't think so, though. I think he used it as a control tactic because mm-hmm. what he did was he bought his son a car, but he made his son pay it off. Okay. So it's like, so it's and like, that's not bad right, right. in and of itself because you, you can make the argument that he's trying to teach him responsibility, but at the same time, I almost think he's, he was doing it just to, as a way to control yeah, him. Yeah, it could totally be a good thing, but it could also be used as, well, you still owe me money, so you have to do this, this, yeah, and this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was just a way for him to keep tabs on him and just keep him compliant to him. And, and for instance, like, if he would miss a payment, he would take John Jr.'s keys, and so... It, and not allow John Jr. to get to work. And oh. it just doesn't work out for <laughs> no. an adult. You have to go to work. You have to have a way to get to work. And so what John Jr. did was he made another set of keys. But his dad, when his dad found out he had another set of keys, he removed the distributor cap. Oh. So that he couldn't take the car. There you go. And he kept it for three days at one point. <laughs> he kept it for three days. Yeah. So it's 100%, I think a controlling tactic for him to give him this to quote unquote give him this car yeah i completely agree and it, it's just i'm sure so emotionally exhausting for john jr all of his past behind him he's an adult now he has to have a reliable vehicle and, and he has a job t- he has a job yeah. i know he has he has a job he has he's volunteering with the democratic party he's trying to move up in the world it's just i can't i'm stressed <laughs> thinking about <laughs> the stress that he is he was under Okay, so John moved around during this time to many different high schools. He goes to four different high schools during his time. Wow. But he fails to graduate high school. And instead of graduating, he just drops out to find a job. He hits the road without ever telling his family where he's going. And he ends up going to Las Vegas, Nevada, where he gets a job as a janitor. So he, like, hit the road. He hit the road. Yes. He was gone. He was gone. And actually, they had to hire a private investigator to find out where he went. Wow. See, he didn't tell them anything. They couldn't just look on a snap map and, you know, just, you know, just find his location? Did he shut that off? Find iPhone, yeah. like, zoom in, like, follow John Jr. Nope. Yeah, they had to hire a private investigator. And, wow, I, I'm glad I didn't grow up during that time. Like, my kid just takes off. Uh, I don't even know. But he's in Las Vegas. He gets this job as a janitor at a funeral parlor called Palm Mortuary. 
Now, this is a totally normal job, right? Like, we need funeral people. We need we need people like oh, that. Oh, absolutely. But... Actually, fun fact, when I was younger, I legit wanted to own a funeral home. That's awesome. I think that's super yeah. cool. I just didn't want to have to talk to the family or work with the bodies. Uh, so, it's like I wanted to provide that service to the world, but I didn't want to be involved in it. <laughs> so, I realized that wasn't going to work. I mean... At least she came to that realization before. Yeah, I just <laughs> wanted to help people. That's a good, you know? that's good though. And now you're going into criminal justice, so you're going to be helping people in another way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. There's a lot to unpack there. It we'll is just a lot skip to it. unpack. We'll just keep going. But my point was, we need people like that. And we There's a very vital, important job. But Absolutely. I just don't think it was the right job for Gacy. <laughs> because he was having issues. So what happened was, he he's going, he completely left his family, he goes to have this job, he's in Las Vegas, he doesn't have anywhere to stay. So they allow him to stay at the funeral parlor. Okay. They, he is allowed to have a cot and sleep there at nights and then work and sleep. Okay. They He was sleeping on a cot next to the embalming room. So for three months, he's working here, he's sleeping there, he's watching the morticians embalm the bodies of the deceased and he's sleep, literally sleeping there. Yeah, that that's, that's I mean, a lot. It's a lot, because <laughs> like, maybe some people can do it and not be bothered by it, but it's just it's a lot. At one time, he crawled up into a coffin uh, next to a dead body. No, why? What? Do I want? I don't want to know why. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> why? He crawled up next to this dead body, laid next to this young man, and inappropriately touched the body. Oh, my. Uh. And. Okay, obviously they didn't know. Like the like right, his, no. his employer didn't know. No, nope, they didn't know anything at the time, and it's such a disturbing event. And later on, Gacy like looks back on this in interviews and said that it sickens him to think that he even do, did that. But he's, what? Yeah, I know. But he still says that he got excited by it. Okay, but I I truly do not know anything about this guy. But doesn't he do a lot worse stuff later? I guess I shouldn't say worse because that's no, like no, it's all mean, awful. Right, it's all awful. Necrophilia, he never, as far as I know, has any more acts of necrophilia like this. Okay. That I know and that I've gotten into so far. There, I mean, maybe I can come back later and change that, but he does do a lot of handling of dead bodies. I will okay. say that. But this is such a specific event. Yeah. And, and so wrong. Right. And Ooh. it's just so horrible. And and also, like, him going back and saying that it just disgusts him. Yeah, like, if it disgusts him. Right. <laughs> no, like, he did it. Like, oh, my word. So he he did that, but then he, at the same time, he said he experienced excitement from that sexually. So, blah, blah. <laughs> I know, exactly. So he worked there for three months, and I am sure – Maybe there were other things that he did, but no other events were admitted to by him. Okay. This was just one specific event. So after those three months, he leaves Las Vegas and he goes back to Chicago. He decides to enroll in a business course in Northwestern Business College. Despite not finishing high school, he wanted to like just get some more education. Maybe he could start his own business. Okay. He did well at this college. And Can you enroll in a college without a... I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm so confused. I knew you were going to ask me that because he eventually finishes high school. Before he goes to college. He has to, right? I don't know. I don't don't know. Maybe it was different. I guess. This is a while ago. Right. It could have been different back then. And honestly, I might have it later in my notes. Okay. And then I'll I'll be like, yeah, remember that time we talked about that? (laughs) But I know he eventually finishes high school. Okay. 
So I'm not sure if it was at this point or Either way, I guess, like, he's trying. He's trying. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's definitely trying. And he did so well at this business college that after he finished, he got a job at Noonbush Shoe Company. He was a very charming personality. And to all those who knew him, and it was around this time, too, that he began to show a talent for salesmanship. He was a fantastic talker. Okay. During the time he was working at this shoe company, the company actually transferred him to Springfield, Illinois, to be a trainee for management. Like, that's how much they valued him as an employee. And he excelled there, and he eventually did become manager. When he was in Springfield, he met fellow co-worker Marilyn Myers and fell hard for her. And within that year, after only about six months of dating, the two were engaged. Wow. Marilyn Myers' father managed and owned three Kentucky Fried Chicken franchises. Okay, I love her. I know. <laughs> he owned three of them in Waterloo, Iowa. And in March of 1964, he offered Gacy the job of managing the restaurants. Dream come true. Doesn't that true. sound amazing? Oh my word, I love KFC. It I sounds amazing, KFC. but also I feel like I would stress myself out being like, I cannot eat every single meal here every day. But I would want to. Gacy is a fat guy, though. So. I guess. <laughs> I bet he loved it. And I'm, I mean, hey, I'm a fat girl, so, like, give me the loaded me. bowl at KFC. Anyways, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> so, he offered Gacy the job of managing the restaurants. But with the understanding, he had to finish the business classes he was taking. So, okay. he's still taking these business classes. He's like, hey, I want you to manage these restaurants. Just finish where you're at, and then we'll go on from there. Makes sense. Yep. And Gacy agreed. It was an amazing opportunity. Plus, he'd be making bank at these restaurants. He'd be making about 15 k a year. And in 2021, that would be about 124000 annually. Wow. That's what that transfers to. So I cannot... Th- I can't believe inflation has gone up that much in that <laughs> short amount of time. I know. Like in like... 1964 to 2021. Wow. Yep. So by the time we like... When we're like real old, we're going to be making like a lot of money every year. I hope right? so. Right? I hope <laughs> it's just not going to translate to that much. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> Is that how that works? I don't know how that works. <laughs> Business people yell at me. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so... He's making all that money. Plus, that's not even counting the share of benefits that he would get from the restaurant. So if his restaurants do well, he he gets percentages from that. Okay. If, he, if his restaurants do well, which they eventually do because he's a great businessman, he's going to be getting so much money. And in addition to making that money, he and Marilyn would move into her family's former home in Waterloo, Iowa. And that was basically just sitting empty for them. So not only did her father give him the opportunity to manage these businesses, he gave them a home as well. So he he's getting a, a pretty solid start here. Exactly. Is what I'm hearing. Exactly. He's literally being handed, okay, this is your chance. Yeah. This is your chance. And at this time in his life, this is actually when Gacy said that he felt like everything was going all right. He was finally working out for the better. He'd had a horrible childhood and felt like he had it all at this time. And now he's living the American dream. And his father actually showed him approval at this time. Wow. For the first time in his life. He even apologized, his father did, Wow. for treating him the way he did as he was growing up, which, sure, you can say you're sorry, but, like, get rid of 18 years of sorrow, but whatever. (laughs) That's true. At least you you said you're sorry, like, that's something. 
And he and his wife had a son, March 1967, named Michael. And the following year, they had a daughter named Christine, October 1968. Okay. His wife loved staying home, caring for the kids. He loved running the business and taking care of that. It was just perfect. They had the perfect growing up. So he also volunteered at the local JCs, and he would later become vice president of the JCs. He was very popular with the men in that group. He'd bring fried chicken to meetings. <laughs> and he always wanted to be referred to as the colonel, like Colonel Sanders. I love it. Isn't that wow, I don't want to approve of anything he does, but that I, I do know. approve of. <laughs> I almost hate, though, that like he ruins Colonel Sanders for me. Cause, like, Let's just end the story right here. Right. See? <laughs> Besides the necrophilia. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> besides that, he's, besides that, he's been fine. Like, up to here. Yeah, just, but now I can't get that out of my head. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a bad one. But, yeah. So, he's Colonel Sanders to the group. And the men in the group, though, were sometimes put off by Gacy's high and mighty attitude. He was kind of a braggart. Okay. But otherwise, they held him in such a high regard because he donated a lot of money to that group. Okay. And he also was very good at raising at fundraisers for that group. And actually, though, this JC group in particular in Waterloo, Iowa, or actually Spring, are we in Springfield or Iowa? I believe we're in Waterloo. All right, I thought we were in Waterloo. Yeah, because he was in Springfield. I thought we then. were in Waterloo. <laughs> <laughs> we were in Springfield first and then Waterloo. So the Waterloo JCs, yeah. They actually participated in some questionable activities, and some of their activities were prostitution, pornography, and extreme drug use during their meetings, and Gacy definitely played off of this. Okay. Gacy had a sort of man cave, or like a club per se, in his basement at the family home, and he'd invite men, mostly mostly young men, mostly teenage age, teenaged men into his home where he'd offer them alcohol, and he would get them drunk before performing oral sex on the young men or coaxing them into sex. Aww. Okay, so we are we've passed we've, the American dream we've where we jumped yeah. off now. Yeah. We're like into some shady business with yes. JCs. We're into some sexual misconduct by Gacy on younger men, so he's basically a pedophile at this point. So we've we've jumped off and I'll tell you until the end of this episode we're not coming back. <laughs> we're okay. diving into the nitty-gritty. May 1968, Gacy gets into a lot of trouble. Gacy invited a young man, 15-year-old Donald Voorhees, to come to his house. And his daughter was, like, born that same year. Dude. Right? Yeah. Ugh. Okay, go ahead. All this is going on while his wife is pregnant and while his, he has infant children. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Donald Voorhees comes to the house. So what Gacy does is he says, hey, I got some stag films I want to show you. We can watch them together. So we can watch porn together. Basically. This boy is 15? Yep, this boy is 15. He's like, let's watch porn together. Let's drink. And let's just watch porn together. And oh. I had the thought, <laughs> I don't think porn is a group activity. <laughs> Maybe I'm very sheltered. I mean, I know I'm sheltered, but like, I don't think porn is like something you invite your friends over Yeah, I don't believe it was meant to be a group it just activity. Doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't sound right, but that's what he did. So Donald Like, I've heard of, like, you know, sports parties. Yeah, like football parties. Yeah, I've heard of all the things. (laughs) Exactly. We could think of a reason to get together that does not involve this. I mean, March Madness, porn parties. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, it doesn't doesn't (laughs) translate. But this was his ruse that he would use, and it would work. So I I don't understand it, but sometimes it would work. Sometimes he would get people over by saying that. While Donald was there... 
And while they were watching porn, while they were drinking, Donald got very drunk, and Gary convinced him to perform oral sex on him while he did the same, and he took advantage of Donald at that time. And Donald is a minor. He's 15 years old. Donald was confused and scared, of course, because this was a very prominent in the community person. Right. Everyone knew John Wayne Gacy, and he didn't say anything to his parents after this for months. Oh, that poor boy. I know. When he finally did tell his father, get this, who was a member of the JC club that Gacy was in. I know. So his there his was basically his his dad's buddy that assaults him. I don't I don't even want to say this because like I'm so glad that he was found out eventually. But I also wanna be like like can like are you that stupid that you target somebody who Whatever. I know, like, ugh, whatever, <laughs> like, this impulse, this whatever you want to call it. It's disgusting. This pedophilia. Yeah. He couldn't even, whatever. So his dad, when he tells his dad, he immediately calls 911 and reports that his son was assaulted. And police arrest Gacy for performing oral sodomy, oral sex, excuse me, and sodomy both. Oh. And after Gacy failed a polygraph test, he was later indicted for the crime. So he okay. did the crime. But Gacy was not going to go down without a fight. Everything he kept saying was that, so Donald's father was also running for a different office, Democratic office, that he was. So he says... They were both... Gacy was running for office? Yep, at the same time as his dad was. So he says, no, it's not me. It's all part of a political scheme to get him out of the running for office. Okay. And against this other popular guy, in that he didn't do it. He's being set up. However, this is when he... So, that's kind of believable. Like, maybe I was, I was just going to say, I hate to even say this, no. but honestly, like, in politics, exactly. who knows? Exactly. That's kind of believable. But yeah. this is where you're like, no, I'm sorry. Innocent people don't do this. He had one of his young teenage male employees, Russell Schroeder, who was 18. He told him to a- attack Donald. Oh, my goodness. To intimidate him, to get him to not testify against Okay, Casey. yeah. See... You just keep digging yourself. And that's when it's Deeper and deeper. No. So, Russell dead. He attacked Donald, beat him, and he sprayed mace into his eyes so that he couldn't be identified by Donald. Russell Schroeder, thankfully, was arrested, and he eventually confessed to the crime, and he said that Gacy told him to attack Donald. So, Gacy also had another penalty of witness intimidation and assault on his already other pending charges. (laughs) Gacy was ordered to be evaluated by a psychologist during this time at the psychiatric hospital of the University of Iowa. And here's what the psychologist had to say about Gacy. I am pumped for this report. Why are you looking like that? Is not a good report. I mean, I want answers. (laughs) What's wrong with it? You're going to get answers. But the thing that I hate is, so we're, we're 30 minutes in, 35 minutes in. I haven't even talked about his murder victims yet. Oh. So, yeah. I hate that we're talking about, we're going to be talking about the psychiatrist. That, like, quote. we have answers and yet things exactly. still happen. They're literally yeah. like, he is a danger. No biggie. Yeah. Let's just release it back into the world. Okay, Colonel. <laughs> there you go. Colonel Gacy. Oh, my word. So, here it is. Quote The most striking aspect of the test results is the patient's total denial of responsibility for everything that has happened to him. He can produce an alibi for everything. He presents himself as a victim of circumstances and blames other people who are out to get him. 
the patient attempts to assure a sympathetic response by depicting himself as being at the mercy of a hostile mm. environment. Nope, Basic, nope, nope. Quote. Basically, he's making excuses for everything. Yeah. The psychologist diagnosed him with antisocial personality disorder, which okay. is a phrase that's used to describe sociopathy or um, 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 psychopathy. And they said he would not get better with treatment. Okay. Psychologists also said he would be most likely reoffending if released, and he would not mesh well with society. See, this is so, this is so hard because, like, he did horrible things, but like nothing that like you can put him away for life. So what do you do with him? Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Um, like, as much as I'm like, okay, you know he's a menace to society. Why did you let him go? I'm also like, okay, well, you you can't just decide to put people in jail forever. At the same time, though, I mean, obviously, the court didn't know about the necrophilia. But he was a pedophile. And so if it's – I feel like it should be stricter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. involving children. But I just don't feel like they really took the fact that – Like they didn't take it seriously. I just don't feel like they were taking it seriously at all. Despite all that, they found that he was fit strange Harile. He's not crazy. He's just dangerous. Yeah, disgusting and disturbed. Exactly. Um, John Wayne Gacy pled guilty November 7th, 1968, to the sodomy of Donald Voorhees. In addition to this, like I said, he was also facing other charges as well, the witness intimidation, and he had also was facing charges of assault on another young man at this time. Wow. Donald was the first to come forward, and that spurred other young men to come forward. Okay, so now, okay. So, so they are Donald, aware that this is a serious problem now. They should have been. <laughs> they should have been aware. <laughs> yeah, Donald came forward, and another young man came forward at this time. So there's two individuals. Okay. Gacy tried to make the argument in court that he was just experimenting with Donald. Oh, I hate... Uh, that's disgusting. It's disgusting. That is, like... That is disgusting. Yeah, it, it makes you hate him. And he's a he's a he's fifteen. He's yeah. like a child, a baby. I'm just experimenting with this child. <laughs> but he said he was just experimenting with Donald. But Donald offered himself to him in the first place. That's what Gacy said, which no. is of course baloney. And also, he's a child. Even if he did, he didn't. But even yeah, if he did that's offer when you himself, say um, you need psychiatric treatment. Son. Exactly. Be like, no, uh, let's call your father and call <laughs> everyone. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that horrible? Thankfully, because court, how old is Gacy at this time? Oh, you got to pull that one on me. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Well, okay. I guess my point is, like, no. He's an adult. Yeah, adult. no child is going, well. Yeah. He n- was yeah. born 1942 and we're at 1968. Okay, so. so. <laughs> we're doing the math <laughs> in our head. I'm so not. So, 26, 26, 26. He's 26. <laughs> 26 or 27. Ugh. I can't do math fast. I'm never going to graduate. <laughs> <laughs> he's an adult. All right. Okay. He's beyond 21. Yeah. He's an adult. Either way, even if he was He's at the point 15, where, yeah, a, he's, he's a child's like, not going to come up and be like, hey, you want to go I, to your basement no, together? <laughs> no. He's he's married, too. Right. Like a mother or a father of two young children. So, right. No. This is baloney. It's ridiculous that he would even offer that as what happened. And thankfully, though, the court did not believe him. Wonderful. He was sentenced to 10 years behind bars. Okay. And he was found guilty. I didn't mention this, but he was found guilty of sodomy on December 3rd. Sentenced then to 10 years behind bars. And he needed to serve that time at the Anamosa State Penitentiary, which is a maximum security prison in Anamosa, Iowa. Okay. 
Now, sometimes, you know, when someone is convicted of a serious or horrible crime, we see that the spouse stands by them. And right. It might come off as sweet or brave in the beginning, but also that's gross because if you're convicted and if your spouse is guilty of something like sodomy mm-hmm. of, a, of a child, don't support them. Right. I mean, no, I agree. I, mean? I hate I that. Agree. But thankfully, Gacy's wife, Marilyn, did not respond that way. Okay. The day he was sentenced, she filed for divorce. Good for her. She wanted, exactly. She wanted to have sole custody of their children as well as have the couple's home and properties that she, and she was granted that. Yeah, and he has no, he should not be around those children Absolutely at all. Absolutely not. Right. No, if he, right. he's a convicted pedophile, he should not be around his children. Fight me on that. <laughs> the divorce was finalized September 18th, 1969, and this act really angered Gacy and he said that he never wanted to see Marilyn or his children ever again. And I'm sure Marilyn was more than happy to oblige yeah. for that. She took the kids and disappeared from his life. And they seemed to have been all the better for it. Gacy was apparently a model prisoner while he was incarcerated. They always are. I literally wrote that down. <laughs> and they always are because, of course, you're going to be good while you're in prison. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to, I mean, some of them are. I mean, obviously, prison's a dangerous place, tempers and everything. But I just feel like if you've got a good brain on there, you're not going to, you're not going to just freak out in prison because you know when you go out for parole, they're going to look at this. I know, but these people do not have, like, solid brains. What did you say? <laughs> they don't have a good brain on there. A good brain sitting <laughs> on their shoulders. I guess not, but he did. He knew what he needed to, he Mm. knew what his life needed to look like in order to get out, basically. He wanted to get out on good behavior. He was the head cook for the prison for a long time. And he also joined an inmate JC chapter, and they were involved with other projects around the jail, including helping with the installation of a miniature golf course. Okay. In jail. In jail. Interesting. In In the prison recreation yard, there's a miniature golf course. I don't know how I feel about that. I was just, that makes me, I like it, but I don't want to. I don't, I shouldn't like it. But part of me is like, I just like that all these grown men are like, how about a miniature golf course? My brain just doesn't know how to process. I know. A miniature golf course in prison. Like, obviously you need reform. That's what the point of it is. But I just feel like that's too enjoyable. You are in jail. You shouldn't get a minute yeah, of golf Yeah, actually, course. yeah. Now, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't like that at How about, like, all. the people who are wrongly convicted and they yeah, get to play? <laughs> yeah, the guards just decide, oh, okay, I think you're innocent. Just go yeah. and play. Like, yeah. Put your oh, back you're a child side. pedophile? Okay, you can go back to your jail. Exactly. Now. Also, like, you're playing miniature golf with golf clubs. Like, they don't even give you That's forks. True. And you're getting, like, this club? <laughs> I don't know. Gacy was denied parole in 1969, and so he took to the books. This is when he completed high school. So interesting. Right. He completed high school when he was in jail, and he finally got his high school diploma November 1969 while incarcerated. Christmas Day 1969, Gacy's father died from the cirrhosis of the liver due to his extreme alcoholism. Okay. Gacy was absolutely devastated at the news, and he reportedly collapsed from sadness and shock when he heard it. Real? That's that's interesting, isn't it? He begged to have a compassionate leave to attend his father's funeral, but it was denied. And all those years of mental and physical abuse at the hand of his father, and at the very end of his life, he just wanted to please his father. 
He mm. just wanted his father to be proud of him, and now his dad is gone. And Gacy actually felt like he killed his father due to the fact that he was in jail. He kind of just put all the blame on himself. Interesting. And so he always lived with that guilt of what happened to his father. This is the part that irks me a lot. Okay. <laughs> He's sentenced to 10 years. And the year is now 1970. If he would So it's been a year. Barely. Because he, he was convicted January yep. 7th, 1969. Only, okay, so it's been only 18 months of actual prison time. Okay. Here's the thing. If he would have stayed in jail for the whole 10 years... Oh, don't... Mm, don't tell me that, like, somebody would have lived or... More than 20 people. Oh, my... He killed 20 people in 10 years? He killed 33. And maybe more. In 10 years? Mm-hmm. Why did he get out? It was because awful. he was no longer a threat to society. Oh, my word. See? Okay. Okay, Guess so, did, yeah, no, before when we were like, oh, they figured out that there's something wrong with him, but what can they really do, you know, besides, like, the punishment? The town service punishment, at least. I know, exactly. You have 10 years. Yeah, like, like, use your 10 years to save but no, the rest of society. But no, he's completely reformed by 18 months. Oh. Yeah. That's... That's disgusting. He is granted parole June 18th, 1970. He served 18 months of a 10-year sentence for sodomy and rape of a 15-year-old. And there was another one, right? Yep. Yep. And the... What was the kid's name that they... Donald. Yes. Yep, the witness intimidation. Yes. All that behind. Done now. He's, 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 He's in parole right now. The psych- and that's with that's without even taking into account what the psychiatrist said. He's a danger. Right. He yeah. will not mesh well, is basically what they said. And we're just gonna let him out. There were stimulations, of course, you know. While he's out on probation, he had to go back to Chicago to live with his mother, and he had a curfew. Ten PM curfew he had to adhere to. Oh, that's what a it. bummer right? that he had a curfew. Right, that stinks. Yeah. That stinks. Okay. Once Gacy got to Chicago, he picked up a job as a short order chef and he purchased a home in Chicago to live with his mother. And actually his mom helped basically with all of the purchase of this home so the two could have a place to live. So he's living with her. His father is gone. He's going to take care of his mom. His mom's going to basically take care of him. They're just going to support each other. He doesn't stay at his job as a short order chef for long and he eventually quits that job. At this point, life seems to be moving on for Gacy. And two years after getting out of prison, he starts his own construction business called PDM Contractors Corps, which stands for Painting, Decorating, and Maintenance. This business was very successful. Interesting. Very successful. And according to a book I read called The Deadly Dozen by Robert Keller, his business made about $200,000 a year. Wow. Around the time that he was arrested. That's not taking into account inflation. Right. And this is still like 1970. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money. He made a lot of money. At this time, Gacy attended church. He was very well liked in his community. He was very active in the community. He'd host block parties. And sometimes they'd be themed. So he'd invite hundreds. And sometimes there were even, something that I read, hundreds of people. And at one point, there were 400 people at one of his parties. Oh, my goodness. He it is, you know, it's so sad is when you say 400 people, my, the first thing my mind thinks is that's not even allowed. Oh, I know. COVID. Because of COVID, right? This is way back in the olden days. <laughs> we could have 
parties and gatherings. <laughs> so at these parties, he'd invite like the who's who of everybody. Okay. He'd invite very prominent Cook County Democratic officials. And he, at this time too, was the Democratic precinct captain of that area. And to the outside world who didn't know his background, he seemed to be this upright citizen. And he's a convicted child molester? He is a convicted, yes, pedophile. Yeah, that's the word. And at this point, too, he's still in parole. Yeah, is he meeting his 10 o'clock curfews? <laughs> that's, that's another thing, too. Like, the party ended 930. He's going to be like, yeah. I go, I yeah. go inside now. I don't know how that Clear out, out, head home. <laughs> During this time, too, is when he started to pose as a clown. This is when the clown aspect comes into this case. He adopted the clown persona of Pogo the Clown. He would go to family birthday parties, dressed up as clowns. He'd go to other events. So he did the clown thing while he still was running this successful business? Yes. That was his That was his um, form of expression. So what he did was he joined a group called the Jolly Joker, and this was a club, a clown club. And this is where different members would perform at events with their clown personas. It was very okay. professional. Okay. And he loved he loved it. He loved bringing other people joy. He loved being just this huge, funny character of a clown. Okay. He really felt like it could be a place where, like a mental place where he could just let loose. Yeah, just like he lose could, himself in it. Exactly. He could lose himself in it. Gacy joined this club in 1975, and his clown persona was Pogo the Clown. And like I said, he posed as Pogo for a number of different charitable events. He gets in trouble with the law, though. 1971. February 1971. As he should. He he should be in trouble for so much. (laughs) (laughs) He's accused of attempted rape of a young man, according Mm. to an article by Murderpedia. However, the charges are dropped when the male individual doesn't appear in court for the hearing. We don't know if this was more witness tampering. We don't know if he was intimidated. We don't know. He just never appeared in court. I realize it does not work like this, but I wish that, like, they could just look at, like, his past charges and be like, mm-hmm. mm, it's probable. <laughs> I know. It's probable. But then you run into so many problems. But I agree. I know. I know. Like, I, I totally understand why yeah. you can't do that. But I also. I totally agree. It stinks that that had to go. And at, at, to this point, I think we're in 2021. We, I don't believe we know who that individual was at this wow. time. So, and this is something that stuck out to me. So, 1971, he's still on parole. Yeah. Why didn't this get back to his probation officer? I don't know. One thing that I read when I was researching this, sometimes it doesn't get back to the probation officer. So if it doesn't happen in the same jurisdiction or in another area, the probation officer sometimes isn't informed. Sometimes probation officers have multiple people that they're dealing with at a time too, mm-hmm. and they can become like case overloaded, and they're entitled to keep on their individual. So sometimes they have to do research on the individual themselves. They're not wow. just handed this stuff, which is insane. And then the entire process of revoking probation is a huge process, and it takes a very long time. Yeah. So that's, I think, one thing. Some people are like, wow, how did that go? How did? Where's that disconnect? He's yeah. still on parole. He's going to be doing all these horrible crimes eventually. Why didn't they get back to his officer? This is why. Maybe his probation officer wasn't aware of it. Yeah. One thing that I have to constantly remind myself, especially when you're listening to or like listening to a podcast or reading a story, because you're only going to read or listen to the, hear the stories about like the crazy things right and i have to like constantly remind myself that like 
the justice system is built up of humans Mm -hmm. and all of these individual humans they have jobs absolutely and they could be phenomenal at their jobs but they also have like whole lives Mm -hmm. you know right and so like like what you were saying this probation officer is one single human and if he has like a ton of cases that he's trying to look at Mm -hmm. and if he's not given the information he has to like go seek it out Mm -hmm. and then this is just like throwing it out there but maybe like he's also like going through really crazy things at home and so like something just you know like background it can get past you exactly and in other jobs we get that like Mm -hmm. at like a restaurant if somebody screws up an order it's like well maybe they're having a bad day Mm -hmm. and i i totally get that like you have to be like have the utmost professionalism in these roles Mm -hmm. but i think it's so easy to like since their job is to like you know maintain law and order in society Mm -hmm. it's so easy to be like how could you let that slip? Oh, I when know. in reality, it's like everybody lets things I know. slip every Isn't day. Isn't that insane? That's yeah. a really good perspective because we don't know what happened. Yeah. And it, the whole thing, too, is like a flawed... It kind of shows like our flawed system I know. entirely. I wish there was a way, like a universal way that everyone could be alerted of everything, but there's just I know. Not. Well, you we, never know. <laughs> We're we, that way. We, are, we have like... We just have so many areas to fix. And mm-hmm. I think it's definitely... In this case of him, he is tossed behind, like, so many times. Yeah. He comes face-to-face with the police multiple times. Ugh. And we're not going to get into it in part one because mm, it's a two-parter. <laughs> we're not going to get into the investigation of him in part one. Okay. We're going to hit what we've hit so far and his most of his murders. Okay. But when we get into the investigation of him, he 100% flaunts what he's doing to officers. Ugh. See, it, I hate that. It's horrible. And so he goes, I don't like, I hate to say slips under the cracks, but he does. And he's mm-hmm. one of the best examples for slipping under the cracks. John started dating a woman named Carol Hoff. Carol was recently divorced, and she actually was a childhood friend of his sister, Karen, at that time, and he fell hard for her. Carol and her two daughters moved into the home he was sharing with his mother. Uh, She has two daughters. She has two daughters. And his mother at this time moves out. This home is 8213 West Summerdale Avenue, Norwood Park, and it's right outside of the Chicago city limits. And this is the notorious house where almost all, actually... I don't want to say almost all, but I all, if not almost all, of the crimes took place here. Okay. Now, Carol and John eventually get married in 1972, and they're just a big, happy family. <laughs> Everything is peachy and fine, and that's what it's like on the outside, but the inside was far from perfect. 1972 is also when Gacy would commit his first murder. Mm. Now, let's talk about how he would treat his victims. I'm not going to go into extreme specifics for every individual. Thank you. Out of respect (laughs) for the individuals, out of respect for the listeners. And honestly, if you want to, I'm going to tell you basically what he would do right now for each victim. And sometimes it changed, but also we don't really know what happened to each person. Okay. There's such a huge number of victims. Sometimes... We just have to take Gacy at his word for what we did. Like, 33 people in 10 years. And that's just what he has admitted to. That is insane. And there is the possibility that he has killed more people as well. Because when he was asked about that, he basically told them, well, that's for you to find out. Mm. Uh. Which is another snub in the face and just 
It's just a sign that he truly doesn't care. Yeah, not at all. So this is generally what would happen. And if there's something different that happens, I will mention it. But this is how he would normally treat his victims. Gacy would pose as a police officer at times to lure and trick victims. Sometimes. That was one of his tactics, which I hate. And I, I hate yeah. so much. It's horrible. So many serial killers use this, too. It's just... I know. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And other times, he would just invite boys to come into his own home, and then they would watch porn together, and they'd drink or smoke pot. But once the victims were at his house... And sometimes he used other ruses, too. But the main one was, hey, let's go home to my house, watch porn, drink... And then also the police. Those were the, the main two ways that he brought okay. victims. But once they were there, after they'd drink and they were more relaxed, he'd ask them if they wanted to see a magic trick. Okay. And oftentimes, this is where he'd dress up as his clown persona sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I know. I do not like clowns. I know. I was going to ask you, like, what are your feeling on clowns? Um, okay. <laughs> well, last time we recorded together, you said, we should do a clown episode. And I said, okay, but only if it's during the day. Are you serious? Shelby, I was sitting right here and I told you that. And it's pitch black outside. And now we're talking about clowns. I'm sorry. <laughs> I forgot you said that. I'm like, it's oh. fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'll walk you to your car. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. So this is when he dressed up as the clown. Sometimes he was, sometimes he wouldn't. And he'd have a set of handcuffs, like a set of trick cuffs with a button that could release mm. the cuffs. So what he'd do is he'd put the cuffs on his own wrist and he'd get out. He's like, look, I can get out of these cuffs. Do you want to try? So then he would put the cuffs on his victims, but he would switch the cuffs and he would get a real set of handcuffs. This sounds like the most, like if you were painting the perfect nightmare, this is it. A clown in the basement. Like, with handcuffs. Uh, exactly. <laughs> like, run! And you're, and you're stuck. At uh, that point, when they realized that they couldn't get out, Gacy would turn to them and he'd be like, you're mine. Oh, uh, that's just... Uh, it's not all of this is so bad. So, he'd trick them with these cuffs and now they were stuck. And when the boys were with him after they were incapacitated by being in the cuffs, they were tortured raped and most of them would eventually be strangled to death are most of these like kids again they are all between the ages of i believe 14 and 22 oh my goodness they are young men he would 14 14 he would bury the victims in a crawl space under his house how big is the crawl space not big and sometimes the bodies he even had to stack them Oh, my word. He's truly a monster. He was living on top of all, all of, of his these dead victims. bodies. Yes. And, and his wife and her two little babies. Yeah, they're still here at this Ugh. time. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the first murder. Timothy McCoy, January 3rd, 1972. He was 15 years old. So he's, he. This is the first murder victim. Okay, so let's just f- focus on for a second. I believe it was January 7th, 1969. He is convicted and put into prison. Mm-hmm. And by 1972, he is already out, living in a different city. Married. married mm-hmm. Has a house. New job. Yeah, has a successful business mm-hmm. and is killing people. Yep. Like, let's just keep the people in prison that need to be in prison. Okay. Holla. I continue. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Okay, like you said, we're in 1972, the very beginning of that year. This is a tumultuous year. 
Okay. We're starting January 3rd. One day, Carol and the girls are gone. They're out of the house. Gary picks up a young man named Timothy McCoy at a Chicago Greyhound, at Chicago's Greyhound bus station. Tim was traveling to Omaha, and Gacy talked with him, and he offered him a place to stay the night until his bus leaves the next day to finish the trip. So he says, why don't you come to my house, you can relax, and then you can leave the next day. Tim, and plus, at the time, too, he's another man, and so I'm mm-hmm. sure that thought, and he's an older guy, so I'm sure that thought didn't cross his mind to be afraid of him. Right. And also, it's the 1970s. I know. You know, know. like now thinking of someone being like, hey, you want to stay at my house tonight? You're like, absolutely not. Call 911. I know. I was going to say. But this is just a different time, right? This is just a different time. So Timothy agrees to stay the night until his bus leaves. The two go back to Gacy's home, and it's thought that they had sexual encounters with each other. It's not thought to be unconsensual. It's thought to be totally consensual. Okay. But in the morning, remember, this whole account here is according to Gacy. Yeah, that's true. This right here is. Gacy's in bed. Tim enters the room holding a knife. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're a liar. <laughs> and Gacy overpowers Tim because he's afraid because he's, that Yeah, he's scared for him. his life. He's scared for his life. Because I bet... I bet Tim knows about the clown costume and the the handcuffs, and he wants to put Gacy in the crawl space. I bet that's that's what Tim, went down. Tim just knew. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I bet he actually targeted Gacy. I bet he convinced Gacy <laughs> that he needed to go to his house that night. Isn't it insane? But here's the thing. Wait till you hear the whole story, because it gets a little weird. Oh, Okay. <laughs> like, just now gets weird. <laughs> he takes the knife from him and in self-defense, heavy air quotes, stabs him to death with it to protect his own life. But like I said, Gacy in his interviews is known for backtracking a lot of the stories. Like, he'll, he'll at first say that he did something, but then he'll come back and say, no, but actually it was this, or actually it okay. was this. And then he'll say, actually it wasn't even there at all. Um, he cannot okay. be a reliable witness. I, I don't know why we're holding so many things, like you said, at point value with him. But he did and has always claimed that this murder was accidental. And according to him, after he finished killing Tim, he goes into the kitchen and he sees that Tim had been preparing breakfast. And so he wondered if Tim went in there with the knife saying, hey, it's time to eat. Just as a normal thing. And okay. Daisy took it as... I see this guy coming inside with a knife. I don't know his intentions. And then so is he in. saying that had he not seen that knife, he genuinely was not going to kill him? I mean, he's, like he is saying that he did not mean to kill this person. And right. interestingly, though, this is the only victim that was stabbed. The only victim and all of his victims that was stabbed. And sadly, though, for a long time, no one even knew that he was missing. Oh, that's so sad. It's very sad. This would begin the huge killing spree for Gacy. Gacy admitted that when he killed Tim, that he experienced an orgasm. Wait, wait, wait. This is the first murder? This is the first murder. I'm sorry. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So there's no bodies under the house yet. Okay. Right. It's just weird. You know, like at first when he said self-defense, I'm like, yes, whatever. It is interesting that the first one was self-defense and then he's like, and I got off on it. So then I did it more. That's exactly what he said. So according to him, he said, quote, that's when I realized that death was the ultimate thrill, end quote. Then Tim McCoy was the first body that would be buried under Gacy's house. Okay. In that crawl space. And there would eventually be 
many war bodies. John Wayne Gacy refers to his life at this time in the 1970s as his cruising years. Oh, that's disgusting. I know I've said that word a lot, but I don't don't have any other words. Honestly, all of John Wayne Gacy is disgusting. It's horrible. He says he was always looking for potential victims everywhere. And now we're going to talk about his second victim, 1974. Sadly, his next victim has never been identified. This victim was a teenage white male, and he was picked up by Gacy using the same tactics of inviting him back into his house. Gacy then overpowered the boy and strangled him to death. He stored the body in his closet for a while, and then he buried him in his backyard. So not underneath the house, but in the backyard. How do you store a body in your closet? Like, isn't he sharing his house with his wife? Oh, yeah. Is she still gone? I I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Like that sound that I made with my mouth. Uh, no, yeah, he does so much of this because she eventually divorces him. But he does so much of this while he's still married. So, but absurd. his wife did notice things, and we'll get into that later. Okay, but she does pick up on some stuff. Not fast enough, in my opinion, but I am not blaming because your your mind obviously doesn't go to this point. Yeah, that's you know? true. But yeah. We'll talk about that when we get. To I there. feel like mine would. <laughs> I'm a little bit tainted. <laughs> I'd be like. I'm sorry, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I do not. Just feel safe. (laughs) Okay, so, like I said, he stores the body in his closet just for a couple days, and then he buries him in the backyard. Okay. During the attack, and after he was dead, the boy's body started leaking fluids and blood out of his mouth and nose, as bodies do, you know, when when you're dead. Which is why, typically, it's suggested not to store them in your closet. I mean, I feel like that's just in the handbook of murder. Exactly. Don't store them in an area that can be discovered because the fluids um, stained the carpet. Bummer. And Gacy's like, oh, stinks, I gotta change the carpet now. And so he decides that the next time he kills, he's gonna put um, cotton in the mouth and nose to prevent leakage. Mm. Okay. So already he's learning and he's trying yeah, to do better. Yeah, I hate that. That, yeah. that's That's, like, such a horrible fact. Right. When they, like... Are like okay, so you know next time I'm gonna time, take notes. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, I can improve in these this areas. This is only—I hate to say—only his second victim, but he does so many more after this. And at at this time, after this second victim passed away, he is saying, "I'm gonna do more. Here's what I'm gonna do next time." So now we're gonna talk about an attack, May 1975. He tried this tactic, and this is when I, I wish I could say that this is when he could have gotten caught, but it's not. He tries an attack on an employee of his. Oh, my goodness. So, Gacy tried a tactic with one of his employees, a man named Anthony Anuki. He was only 15. He brought Anthony to his home, and and Gacy did the handcuff trick. And he put the handcuffs, of course, on himself first, then got out. And then he's like, you want to try it? And Anthony's like, sure. He's a little more hesitant. He clasped them on Anthony's wrists. Well, Anthony was smart. He, when he put the handcuffs on, he didn't close them all the way. Okay. So he, when they were on his wrist, Gacy was kind of like, aha, I got you. And he starts tearing off Anthony's clothes. Well, Gacy, or, <laughs> well, Anthony takes the cuffs off because they're not even really on him. him. He was smart enough to have the foresight for that. And he was a wrestler in high school. So what he does is he puts the cuff on one of Gacy's hands he uses a wrestling maneuver to flip him on his back yes 
and he gets the upper hand of Gacy. I love and it. Gacy is so mad. He starts swearing and he starts yelling and this and that. But he actually convinces Anthony <gasps> to unhook him. No. Why? Honestly, I think if anything, that shows you how much of an influencer this guy was. He was so good with people that literally you tried to attack this boy, but this boy is still going to let you out. That reminds me of um, Edmund Kemper when he kidnaps this girl and then he actually locks himself out of the car. He convinces the girl to unlock the car Ugh. and let him back in. This is that same thing. He, this Anthony felt comfortable enough that he, he unhandcuffed Gacy. But here's the crazy part. Like, no, it's all been crazy. After this, Anthony just goes back to work. He didn't kill him? No. So Gacy gets unhandcuffed. And they just go on like this never happened. They never talk about it again. Okay. <laughs> and, I mean, for Anthony, I guess, like, he didn't technically hurt him. So maybe he thought, like, my boss is weird. <laughs> like, my boss is... That's true. That's you know? true. He so, didn't know that the end result was possibly no, going to be No, he had no idea. So maybe he just... I don't know. And, I mean, he trusted Gacy enough to think that that was not weird. And he still He's felt safe 15. working. He's 15 years old. Anthony stayed employed by Gacy. They reportedly never had another encounter like that, and the two of them never spoke about it again. Wow. Now we're going to the third victim. 1975, a week after the incident with Anthony, John Butkovich. So he, like, moves. Oh. I mean, you have to, to have that many. we'll get on, but sometimes he has same crime, two crimes in one day. Wow. He 100%, this is his spree, 19, uh, 1972 on, and then 1975. John Butkovich, he was another employee of PDM. He went missing. And he was always seen with John Wayne Gacy. Like, if John Wayne Gacy was there, John Butkovich was there as well. And they were actually both called Big John and Little John. Okay. And, like I said, this is only a week after Anthony and Gacy's encounter. So, in my mind, Gacy fails with Anthony. He still has to get his kicks off somehow. So, he's going to try again. And also, I was thinking, this is such a little fact, but I'm going to bring it up anyways. All these employees are going missing at PDM. That, that, okay, I was thinking that in my head when you yeah. said he's also an employee at PDM. I was he, like... Gacy is the owner and, like, the manager of like, PDM. Like, do they not have... How many... Do they have an HR department? <laughs> well, so the thing is, his boss, a lot of times when you have a missing persons case, sure, the family will report the missing, but sometimes the boss does. Yeah. As not coming into work. Well, Gacy, he's the one committing the crimes. He'll just not report that they didn't come in to work. But, like, how big is this company? There has to be more. I don't think if it's, it's that. There's a lot of employees because a lot of the employees go missing. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think it's that huge. They were successful, but I don't think it was that big. So, that was just an interesting fact. And, and, and I mean, I'm sure it's obvious. Like, we know he was in charge. But it kind of just hit us, you know, that he's just not reporting his employees. It's not missing. Yeah. I'm not clocking into work. John's disappearance, however, was more suspicious this time to other employees because John and Gacy had a public argument only the day before John went missing. So had they had this argument over unpaid wages, and John was upset, of course, because he earned the money and he wanted to get his paycheck. Gacy allegedly lured John to his home by saying that he was going to give John the money at home, and that's what brought John to his home. The guy is that, I'll pay you, let me just go get the money from the house. 
Now, his family wasn't there because Gacy's mother, who now lives in Arkansas, had broke her hip. So his wife, Carol, and the kids had gone to take care of his mom while she was healing. So he had the house to himself at this time. This was a more public disappearance, and Gacy would actually end up being questioned for John's disappearance. Gacy told police, yeah, you know, like I did argue with him, but I paid him. We settled it. He left and quit, and I never saw him again. And police didn't have anything else to go on, and so they yeah. took Gacy at his word, really, and that was it. I mean, even if you don't believe him, there's nothing else you can do there's at that really point. There's really nothing you, you can do. There's no eyewitnesses and no evidence at all. We now know that Gacy lured John to his home, and then he strangled John to death before concealing his body underneath a concrete floor in his garage. How did he do that? <laughs> I don't know. I guess he poured cement while he, <laughs> the wife was gone. So finally, Gacy's second wife, Carol Hoff, says that's enough, that's it, and decided to divorce him. Good for her. Exactly. Their divorce was finalized March 1976. Their marriage was pretty rocky from the get. She knew a lot was going on. I think she knew more than he gave her credit for. Gacy told her at one point in their marriage that they were done sleeping together and they weren't going to have sex anymore. Oh. Whatever. (laughs) I mean, whatever. (laughs) She'd find, also in addition to that fact, she'd find porn magazines of nude men all around her home. Okay. And whatever, if that's your thing. But she's got kids. And it's just around the house. And also... Uh, have some respect to your wife. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> like if the two of them agree on whatever, that's fine. But she knew nothing about it until she found it displayed in her home. Yeah. She'd also find Polaroids of young boys around her home as well. The boys that he took? Yes. Oh, and so she confronted, so sad. she would confront Gacy about it and he would make up excuses as for why it was there. And plus, at this point, we got to talk about the smell. Yeah. Okay. This is horrible. But when you said that he put them under the concrete floor, my first thought was, well, then, okay, maybe that wouldn't smell as bad as the mm-hmm. other ones. I feel like it would mask it. Yeah. Because it's, it's like more degree. sealed in. Right. But you have the body in the yard and you also have two bodies right. under the house. The smell coming from the basement was, at first it started off as a little unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And Carol mentioned it to Gacy. And Gacy said, you know, no big deal. It's just leaky sewer pipes. Oh. He said he'd spread lye down there to get rid of the smell and try to mask it. It'll be fine. He'll fix the problem. But of course, as the days went on, that smell got worse and worse. And no, it's not leaky pipes. Something is Yeah, you're only adding to it now. Yes. Eventually, also, too, bugs started being a problem. Oh, my goodness. And it wasn't just bugs. It was swarms in their house. So something is not right. And, of course, the bugs are there because of the body decomp. And everywhere in the home, particularly in the area above where the crawl space was, had bugs and swarms of bugs. So after all this, she finally decides, you know, something's not right. Yeah. And at this point, too, so the garage was kind of Gacy's place. He was like, hey, the garage is my place. Don't go in there. She knew not to go in there. One time when Gacy left the house... She took a peek in the garage. She's like, okay, I gotta, like, peek around this stuff. Something's going on. She found a lot of red bulb lights. It was creating, like, a really spooky atmosphere. And she also saw mirrors on the ceiling, the sides of the wall, and on the ground. And it kind of looked like a weird porn dungeon type of a 
location. Yeah. Either way, she got a bad vibe from it. She was yeah. not comfortable. Can you imagine? This is, like, I'm, I think because he's so outrageous and they were married for such a short amount of time, I'm, like, not, I'm not, like, realizing the fact that they're, like, husband and wife. Oh, I know. He's like, the father of, well, actually, well, no, because no, she's, she's <laughs> but, not. She brought children in. Right, they're his right. Stepchildren, but, but they're he, supposed to be, like, like, like in a sanctified union. Yeah. <laughs> and she's, like, doesn't know the half doesn't of know what the he's half doing. Of it. And, oh, I don't know. But I'm not saying it's her fault in no, any, any way. absolutely not. I'm just, like, because, like we said, I think I, that brain, was lost on me for a second. Right. Your brain doesn't go there. Right. You want to trust your spouse. You want to love your spouse. Your brain cannot go to this dark place where he is. Right. But at the same time, we got to look at everything that was going on. It's just, maybe she loved him too. Who knows? But it's, she'd also, this is kind of something that was really sticking out to me. She would see Gacy bringing home boys at points. She knew he was having affairs with other men. And she knew they weren't adults. Yeah, that's true. She didn't technically see the acts. But she saw them coming and going. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes coming and not going. So she knew that Gacy was bringing young individuals into the house. So you have that piled on the um, the weird garage. And then you have the bugs and the smell. Yeah. She just had to get her and her kids out of there. On April 1976, this is after the divorce, 18-year-old Daryl Sampson, and he is going to be the fourth victim. He was abducted and eventually murdered by Gacy. And his body is one that was going to be found in the crawl space. And it's actually the crawl space that was under Gacy's dining room floor. Okay. So he was buried in that uh, part of his house. There are, like, a weird number of crawl spaces to this house. It's, so like, it's they're under entering... the house. So there's, like, an area to get under the house. So kind of, like, where you would think the pipes were. Okay. There, there was holes, kind of like trenches. Okay. And that's where these bodies were being. So they're, part of the floor would be lifted up. The bodies would be stuffed under the floor. And eventually there would be so many bodies that he'd have to build kind of, kind of like tunnels. But it wasn't that big of an okay. area. He'd literally have to stuff bodies under the floor of his uh, house. I'm just. Kind okay. of think of like, you know, like worms, like make little holes, like a worm farm. You know where you can see like the glass that they're going? Mm-hmm. That's literally what it is. He's stuffing them in holes under the ground under his house, in the ground under his house. It's really hard to picture. Thankfully, my brain doesn't make a picture of yeah. it at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm thankful that I can't quite grasp this one. Right, but that's that's where they all were. And yeah, they were just stuffed down there. Let's talk about the fifth victim, May 14th, 1975, 15-year-old Randall Refet. He was walking home from school one afternoon when he was abducted by Gacy. He was gagged, and it was shown from his um, bones that he died from asphyxiation. His body was found in the crawl space under Gacy's front door. The sixth victim, Samuel Stapleton. This is only a few hours after Gacy abducted Randall. Oh my goodness. So this is the first day that he has two killings in one day. He took 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton and murdered him. Samuel, or Sam as most called him, was abducted while walking away from his sister's apartment. Sadly, both Randall and Samuel shared the same grave, if you want to call it a grave, in the crawl space underneath Gacy's house. Randall's family immediately reported him missing. Of course, he's only 14. He did not come home. He did not run away. Someone took him. 
When police would later identify his body, Randall was wearing a bracelet and his family identified it as being belonged to him. Seventh victim, June 3rd, 1976, Michael Bonin. Gacy kidnapped Michael Bonin while he was waiting for a train to visit family. He then strangled to death 17-year-old Michael Bonin. Gacy strangled him with a ligature and Michael was also buried in the crawl space. When his body was found, the ligature was still around his neck. Police would also find Michael's fishing license amongst Gacy's possessions in his home, and his body was so badly decomposed and damaged from the torture that Gacy inflicted on him that he had to be identified by dental records. Oh, that's so And sadly, sad. many, well, there are still unidentified victims to this day, but many victims had to be identified by their dental records. Eighth victim, William Carroll, or Billy as he was called, William Carroll was a rough and tumble kid who had been in and out of juvie for stealing purses and other items. He also ran a brothel type thing with other men and younger boys to kind of pimp out each other. And then it's through that environment that he ran into Gacy's circles. Now, Billy is only 16. Wow. And he is murdered by Gacy and buried under the floor under Gacy's kitchen. Ninth and tenth victims. James Jimmy Hackinson, he's recently identified. For a long time, he was an unidentified victim. He was identified in 2017, July 2017. That is so amazing to me. I know. How, it's it's so sad, and it makes me realize, like, how, how blessed we are, but it amazes me that people can go missing and people don't even know that they're missing sometimes they don't even know they're missing but then a body's discovered and you don't know who it is that's true yeah, yeah you know what that's I mean? true and this was 1976 2017 is finally when he is wow. identified and he's identified using dna evidence from familial dna and he had run away from home that summer in 1976 and he was from saint paul this 10th victim august 6th he passed away Rick Johnston, 17 years old, he was last seen going to a concert in Chicago. His mom was waiting for him to call her back to pick him up. <laughs> this is awful, Shelby. I'm sorry. This <laughs> is so awful. Are you going to cry? I, yeah. I feel like I'm going to cry too. And we're not and I, even I know. It's like they're done. so awful. And then you're like, next victim. Next I victim. I hate and I, being... Like, they, they deserve to all, like, have their stories told. Right. But it's also, just, like... It's horrible. It's uh, really sad. And it really puts them just... I didn't want to label them, like, ninth, tenth. But I just feel like it puts the severity of it into mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. It, and you know, may we please all remember one more time, every single one of these people... Would still be alive. Yeah. If this man had served his prison sentence it's 1976 oh Mm. he'd have four years left in jail (sighs) rick johnston 17 years old like i said he was waiting for his mom his mom was waiting for him to call to pick him up from the concert but she never got the call to pick him up he was also someone who was recently identified in 2017 so thank goodness that his parents at least can have some closure this is not I know what they were wanting or expecting, but thankfully they can lay him to rest. They know where mm-hmm. he is. He's found. Two identified young men were killed between June 13th and August 6th. That's what the news report said at that time when the bodies were discovered. Like I said, we did not know who these two boys were until 2017. 
and we know that James died in July, or excuse me, died that summer, and Rick Johnston died shortly after that in August, like I said. 11th and 12th victims, there are two more unidentified men. They're still unidentified. They were killed between the months of August and October 1976, that same year. 13th and 14th, in October 1976, two young men, best friends, Kenneth Parker and Michael Mariano, were reported missing together, and they were both abducted by Gacy. They were raped, strangled, murdered, and then placed in the same crawl space as the others that I mentioned. The 15th victim, William Bundy, he was ID'd in 2011, but he was another one who was unidentified for a long time. And actually, he was also another one where his siblings provided DNA, making it possible to ID him. Wow. Can you imagine being those siblings? No. I can't. mm, I don't want to go there. Continue. (laughs) 19-year-old William Bundy, he worked for PDM Contractors under Gacy. The day he went missing, he told his parents that he was going to a party with some friends. And that was the last they heard from him, and they didn't know where he was until his body was discovered under Gacy's house in a crawl space trench. And not even then, they didn't know until 2011. Wow. Because remember, his body was just one of the unidentified people. So they really didn't get closure until 2011. Yeah, you're just what? I mean, like you assume that there were... He was, he worked for Gacy. And then Gacy's arrested for all these murders. Your fear is that he was under the house. Yeah. And you don't know that for literally 30 years. More than that, 40 years. Yeah, and they just keep telling you that they can't identify him. We can't. We don't have anything to go on. So the 16th victim, Gregory Godzik. 17-year-old Gregory Godzik went missing December 12, 1976. He had gone on a date with his girlfriend, and he had just dropped her off at her house before he disappeared. He was another employee of PDM, but he had only been working there for three weeks. He had just started working there before he went missing. He'd been doing extra jobs for Gacy at his house. And this is where everything is messed up, but this is just a whole level of messed up. Gacy had Gregory Godzik digging trenches for him (gasps) in his crawl space. No. Gregory told his parents that Gacy had been hiring him to, quote, dig trenches for some kind of drain, end quote. So Gacy had him digging among the bodies that were already there and eventually maybe he dug his own grave oh this kid is in there how old is he he's 17 so his boss tells him to do that you know there's smells yeah and there's bugs everywhere and it has to have only gotten worse (sighs) when you're right down there in the trenches under the ground and the heat yeah i can't imagine and and maybe i don't know what happened either gacy doesn't really say what happened that led Mm -hmm. to his death but maybe gregory saw something he wasn't supposed to i don't know how you can miss it when you're literally down there maybe he saw the bodies or maybe he was asking gacy too many questions or maybe he just caught gacy's eye and gacy wanted him because if gacy picks you he'll take you he has this horrible horrible just fixation on some of his victims and whatever the case Gregory became Gacy's 16th victim. And Gregory's parents actually contacted Gacy about their son's whereabouts. Because remember, Gregory told them that Gacy had him doing work at his house. Yeah. So when your son goes missing, naturally you're going to trace his steps. You're going to call his boss. Well, when they asked Gacy if he'd seen Gregory and where he went, 
Gacy told him that the last time he talked to Gregory, Gregory told him that he was planning on running away from home. It's disgusting. It is. And of course, that implies that Gregory had run away. Wash your hands of it. You don't know where he went. Gregory's wallet would later be found in Gacy's home. And like I said, this is the case, too, where we don't know how Gregory died. His body was too decomposed to know his cause of death. But we do know that he was one of Gacy's victims because his body was found in the wallet. It was also in the house, but we don't know how he died. John Sizik, Sizik, excuse me, the 17th victim, was another PDM employee. Okay, I don't... Every time you say another PDM employee, like... I'm going to say it a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting angry as you're reading these things. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. It makes no sense. You know this guy's background... Two, all these boys' bodies aren't showing up. They're just going right. missing. Yeah. And people, ha- they, they, I mean, like that, we just read one where some, we know somebody reported him missing because mm-hmm. his parents did. Oh, yeah. And there's other ones that absolutely yeah. were reported missing. Yeah. I, one no. strikes an investigation. Mm-hmm. Seven mm-hmm. from the same company. Like, at this time, I don't believe they were even looking at Gacy as a possibility. He was just this upstanding member of society, according to everyone around him. 19-year-old John Sizek. John was actually a friend of the other two boys that Gacy had killed, Gregory and John Budkovich. Now, what Gacy claims, we got to take everything that he says with a grain of salt, he claims that John tried to sell him a Plymouth satellite vehicle in order to make a... Nineteen-year-old John Sizik. Now, this is really sad. John actually was a friend of Gregory and John Butkovich. What Gacy claims, and we have to take everything that Gacy says with a grain of salt, but he claims that John tried to sell him a Plymouth satellite vehicle in order to make enough money to run away to California. Again, hmm. whole lot of runaways. A lot of runaways, and it's the last step so he sees them before they disappear mm-hmm. but it's just coincidental because he's helping them out he's giving them money to leave gacy ends up selling john's car to another pdm employee and sizek's tv and class ringer later found in, in gacy's home so police are investigating this case finally they knew to keep an eye out for john's car because that's what he was last seen in. So they spot the Plymouth at a gas station, and Michael Rossi, the one who was was um, sold the car from okay. Gacy, he's the one driving the car. Michael tells police that a man named John Wayne Gacy gave him the car, and he said that um, he was going to make him work for him to pay him back. So he said, I'm going to give you this car. John Wayne Gacy said this. I'm going to give you this car. I want you to live with me, work with me to pay it back. Yeah, I'll, I'll kill you, by the way. Right. He actually doesn't end up doing it, as far as I know. Now, Michael Rossi and David Cram are forced to help Gacy take care of the smell in the home. Because remember, Michael's living with him. David Cram's living on and off with him. He forces them down into the crawl space to spread lie down there to try and help with the smell. At this time, too, we have victim 18, still unidentified. 19th victim, John Prestige. He was the next to go missing. John was visiting friends and family in Chicago, and he was only 20 years old at the time of his disappearance. Victim 20 is unidentified. 21st victim. This one was really hard. He's 17 years old, and his name is Matthew Bauman. My brother is 18 years old, 
and his name is Matthew Bauman. And so it was just like a really weird, weird connection that I didn't want. Mm-hmm. And it just made it hit a little weird, and I don't like it. This Matthew, the victim, he was 18. And he was one of the victims of John Wayne Gacy, July 1977. Gacy would still be in jail. Now, victims 22, Robert Gilroy was 18. He only lived four blocks from Gacy's house. Ugh. And Robert's father was the sergeant of the police force. Oh my word. Just the amount of disregard and just, I don't like to say cojones because I don't want to give Gacy any credit at all, but he really didn't care about keeping a low profile. Right, right. He doesn't care. He's in your neighborhood. These are employees of yours. Of course it's going to get traced back. I don't think he cares. Which makes it so much worse. It does. Which it, I don't know why I said that because it's, it, even it's if he bad. did care, it's right. so awful. Right. But it's like, just, just that arrogant attitude. Yeah. He, and, and you're going to see later for part two for the investigation. He is so arrogant. Ugh. I might not come back. So arrogant. <laughs> I've been don't skipping over John Wayne Gacy episodes for like years. <laughs> and, and I, I get here tonight and she's one. like, has three names. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's just so bad. And we're going to be stopping soon for part one. I just want to finish up a couple more before we stop. But Robert was last seen alive September 15th. And his body would be one that would be found under Gacy's home. 23rd victim, John Maury, is a 19-year-old from the U.S. Marine Corps. He disappeared. He was heading to his apartment, and he had just left his mother's house. His body would be found under the house. 24th victim, Russell Nelson. He was a 21-year-old man. He disappeared from a bar in Chicago that year, October 17, 1977. He was killed and buried under the home of Gacy. 25th victim, Robert Winch. Four weeks after Russell's death, 16-year-old Robert Winch was murdered and his body was concealed under the home by Gacy. Tommy Bowling was the 26th victim. He was 20. He was also killed and buried by Gacy. 27th victim, 19-year-old David Talzma. He was also a member of the Marine Corps. He disappeared and he was actually on his way to a rock concert in Hammond when he went missing. He was strangled by Gacy, assaulted, and then buried under the home. Now, Robert Donnelly was fortunately lucky enough to get away from Gacy and survive. This is going to bring you up a little bit. Okay. I've been tearing you down for so many people. <laughs> now, it, okay, I say bring you up, but it's horrible. Yeah, and if but he's he a survive, I was going to, but if he's a survivor, why is there more victims? Exactly. Exactly. You, actually, I really wish I wouldn't have said it's going to bring you up. It's gonna I'm already you, more mad. It's going to bring you so down. He was abducted at knife point by Gacy, December 1977. Gacy brought Robert back to his house where he raped and tortured him by beating him, sodomizing him with multiple objects. He was also tortured by being held underwater in Gacy's bathtub until he would pass out. Then Gacy would revive him and do it again. So sadistic. It was so horrible that Robert begged Gacy to kill him at one point. And Gacy said, quote, I'm getting around to it. Oh. End quote. Okay. So callous, so sadistic, so hateful. But interestingly, Gacy did not kill Robert. After assaulting him and ruining his life, he brought Robert back to the place he had abducted him from and just left him there. Of course. So this guy didn't even escape. 
he just let him go. He let him go for, we don't know the reason. Of course, Robert goes to the police. He tells his experience, everything that happened to him. And you're probably thinking that's the end of it. Because it should be. Gacy gets arrested. No. Police question Gacy about the crime. And Gacy tells him, yes, but it was consensual. I had consensual sex with that's not that that's <laughs> that's not even having sex that's torturing somebody like i don't even understand i to the point of death yeah i don't even understand and the sad part is police believed him and that's where we're going to stop for part two because we need to stop there's <laughs> just too much and honestly i think we need a break yeah i'll tell I you can what see your face you are physically <laughs> moved by this and it i don't blame you i i am always like rooting for the investigators and mm-hmm. like the police officers mm-hmm. and i'm like like I'm, i understand that there are some that genuinely right, are, are yeah yeah for sure mm-hmm. but i'm always trying to like you know they're all humans everybody makes mistakes but like this this is too many and it's too obvious. It's too obvious. And it'd be one thing, I hate to say this, but Robert Donnelly, if his case was one and done, you gotta, you can't just believe, I hate it, I hate it. But you have to take, ugh, I don't like it, because he still should have been arrested and investigated. But this is after the disappearance of 27 At young his men. company. Exactly. So after the disappearance of 27 young men, this guy, number 28, yeah, he survives. He's not killed. But he tells you, John Wayne Gacy did it. Here's what he did. Here's his house. Here's his house. So you go there. You walk in the door. You can't breathe because the smell is so That's bad. That's another thing. Like. <laughs> it's uh. just, it's so sad. And if, if police would have done something, maybe the six individuals that would go on to die from this point could have been saved and honestly i think there are more i think there are many more Mm -hmm. that are still either undiscovered yeah i it's just really sad it's a huge huge conundrum of a case but i'm glad that you are here with me i hate you (laughs) (laughs) you love me i know you do so okay Part two, what we're going to talk about in part two is we're going to talk about the rest of his victims. We're going to finally talk about the investigation. Okay. Because by then, the hunt is on. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, okay, I actually do want to yes. come back for part two. Because he, and, never mind, he, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> because he's gotten away with it for so long, we need to see justice finally yeah. happening. Yeah. But it's going to infuriate you a little bit in the beginning because he flaunts it. Okay, but I love I love some like justice served. Oh so, yeah, so that that happens. Yeah, come back part okay. two. You're gonna see justice served. You're finally spoiler alert. Gonna see him behind bars. I like it. But he's been behind bars before. But this time you're gonna see him die in prison. Finally, okay. yep. I'm gonna tell you that because I feel like we all just need a little bit of just. <sighs> You know, like this has happened. This has been such a ride. We are almost to an hour and 40 minutes. Of pure sadness. Of pure sadness, of pure terror of this monster. 
part two, you're going to see some kind of justice for the families. It's okay. not what they needed, but it's something. So that being said, please come back for part two. If this brought you down, I'm sorry. It brought us down. But come back for part two. You're going to see some form of justice. As always, you can check us out on Twitter at addicted underscore crime. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at addicted to crime podcast. I will be posting pictures um, about this case. I'm not going to be posting a ton, but I am going to be posting like the picture of the house so that you can see what it looks like. I'm going to be posting some pictures of Gacy, him and his clown getup, and um, him with his family, stuff like that. And I'm going to be also answering questions. Any questions that you had, you can send them to our email at IamAddictedToCrime at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed listening. I'm sorry. I know it was a terrible episode. But every person, and I, I know some of you will probably hate me for going eighth victim, ninth victim. But I just feel like to understand the gravity of it, having them labeled by number is just so callous, I know. But it should also hit you in the gut a different way. Mm -hmm. You know, it should sit different that there's this many people. And we're not even done yet. Thank you for joining me, Olivia. Can you come back for part two? If you can promise me that there's going to be some high quality justice, I will be here. (laughs) But if not, and Shelby, if we talk about clowns, it is going to be when there is a sun shining outside. I don't know how that is. We both work. (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) all right but please come back for part two you'll see that next week bye-bye